This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hi everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello, everybody. Welcome along. It's another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. We've obviously got the County Cricket Weeklies at the moment coming out to you every single Monday as we go through the English summer. But we're also going to throw in a few others as we go through the English cricket season. And I'm delighted to say today I am joined by cricket photographer Philip Brown. Philip, nice to see you. Good to see you too and good to hear you. And I think everything's working all right. Oh, uh, we're always worried about technology here. We're taking massive strides forward through this pandemic and trying to actually work out how to plug things in, aren't we? Very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I like chatting. Anyone who knows me knows that <laughs> I never shut up. So you can try and get a few words in, but good luck with that. That's the perfect guest. I'm happy with that. I'll just sit back and listen to you. You're bringing out a book anyway called The Colours of Cricket. And I, I imagine, I mean, this is basically a whole collage going through this book of your, I guess, favourite photographs through your career, your cricketing snapping career. You sent me a, a copy over the um, the email the other day. And I've had a, a proper flick through it. And I love books like this. I love cricket photography. I just love the way guys like you have the expertise to capture these images. And it makes a really good book, I think. Oh, that's very kind of you to say so. But yeah, it's not out. Well, it's coming out August the 2nd. So haven't got that far to go. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see it in a kind of a hard format rather than just looking at the images on the screen. But as you say, it is it is basically pretty much my favourite pictures that I've taken over 30 years or 32 years, whatever it is. So, yeah, I, I didn't design it myself, but if people have got a problem with the pictures not being very good, that's all down to me. So <laughs> so the blame lies here. Kind of get the impression, is, is this a lockdown project where you were sat, sat in lockdown and thinking, I need something to do here, I'm going to pick up my favourite pictures, or was it already planned? Uh, it's bit, Well, I've wanted to do a book for a number of years and – Finding a publisher kind of like-minded who also wants to do a book of my pictures has been, uh, or shall we say, slightly difficult. 
it, it just so happened that during, I don't know, the end of last year, I think it, it, we did a deal. So it was happening. So it coincided with, I, I was very lucky and people are going to hate me in England, but I was very lucky to get out to Australia uh, between November and the 1st of March. So that involved photographing three test matches, Australia versus India, lots of big bash matches all mm. around the place. And then I had some some time after that, really, and that coincided with me having to, you know, get the images together for this book. So, you know, I was sitting in a in my niece's house in in a place called Mullumbimby, which is absolutely fantastic, and thinking, well, I'll do a couple of hours this morning, and then I might drive into town and and go for a swim later, and go for it. yeah. So it was it, the timing was great. So mainly, kind of January, February. I was trawling through images and going, is you know, that's one of my favourites. It wasn't too difficult because, yeah, I've got my favourites. Uh, I'll probably put a few in there that I think, oh, I'm not sure why I put that in. But it, it's got to kind of balance up, you know, all the spreads have to balance up. So so that's it now. It's, it's off at the printers and no changes. But, uh, yeah, it was most of it, as I say, was done in New South Wales in a, you know, in a, in a house where uh, my niece has got three three great children, but they were all off at school, so I had the run of the house. I had to kind of study and, and you know, dogs outside and birds singing. It was, yeah, I enjoyed it, as you can tell. What's the name of that place? Mullumbimby. They've got some great names in Australia, haven't they? Mullumbimby, which is, uh, it's, it's very, well, it's 25, 20 minutes away from, Byron Bay, which everyone knows, which is becoming the, I think it's becoming the new Hollywood in the world because all the, well, not all of them, but lots of big actors have decided to make it their home, Byron Bay. So you've got, last I heard, you had Zac Afron and the Hemsworth brothers there, I think. Meryl Streep, maybe, maybe not. But uh, yeah, the papers are full of, all the online, full of stories about all these Actors walking around Byron Bay, so it is a is is a fantastic part of the world. Absolutely See, beautiful. You didn't become a member of the paparazzi and stalking them then. I hope it doesn't come to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I. Yeah, the, the word paparazzi has has come into favour probably the last thirty years, but yeah, I don't. I don't know where the line goes from, you know, being a fully fledged photographer to being paparazzi. It's just got such negative connotations that word, but. I mean, anyone who's got to make a living by, oh, I don't know, standing outside courts or, which I had to do, you know, many, many years ago, which isn't the, the nicest job in the world or, you know, not feel sorry for them. But I understand that people have got to, you know, take the rough with the smooth. If, you, if your boss says, go and get a, get a picture of so-and-so, you go and get it. You mentioned sort of just over 30 years of cricket photography. The technology and the equipment that you use will have changed, I would imagine, quite a lot in that time, hasn't it? Digital, for obviously, is what is one massive stride forward. Yeah, I remember first at the, I did the Open Golf Tournament probably in the late 90s and someone said, oh, we're going to have a uh, display from a camera manufacturer and they were talking about digital. And I'd like... Probably ninety nine percent of people didn't really get my head around the fact that it meant what what the what the main thing digital did was made it free to press that button, so you didn't have to limit yourself to how many pictures you took. So in the nineties, you were thinking, well, I can't go back with you know five rolls of film; they're going to just you know roll their eyes at me. So you had to be basically had to every time you saw what you thought might be a good picture in your mind, you had to say, well, hang on, is this worth? Yeah. pushing my finger down for because it's going to cost well, kind of 40 pence every time I, I push the shutter. But, 
you know, digital come, came along and, you know, initially it was kind of two, three frames a second. Now we're up to, I've heard of 20. I think my camera does 12 or 14 frames a second. And there's no limit. You can just take as, you know, you can take thousands and thousands of images a day. And as long as you've got an eye for which picture is, is the one, you can what? normally find that. In in the olden days, I mean, it's not going that far, is it? You would have had maybe three or four to pick from because, as you say, you have to be selective. Whereas now, you'll have a whole array of pictures of of, of a match, and I guess that brings its own problems to a degree, doesn't it? Because if you've got four thousand images and you only need need one, you've got to be a bit selective there too. Yeah, well, you you hardly need need one. But when I was working for newspapers back in the nineties, you would literally say shoot a test match at Lords and drive back to the office hand the films in for someone to to put through the processing machine then have a look and choose maybe four pictures to get printed up and just and ha- literally hand those printing downstairs and say well and they'd say oh we've got a uh, a two column upright today so you'd have to have a picture to fit that but normally it was just one photograph that they were after from you mm. from all day to fit that space put in the paper and you know bob's your uncle now you like you say you you tend to you know pick out I don't know it depends on how exciting the day is but there's nothing to you might kind of transfer sixty pictures with captions on to wherever these days so yeah the output's gone gone mental and that's what people that's one of the things people didn't realize when we went digital that you'd basically be working more and you're doing yeah you, you know in back in the 80s say that a top photographer from a uh, from the Observer or the Sunday Times or something like Chris Smith from the Sunday Times he'd be sent to Old Trafford for the test match he'd take the photos and hand the film to someone else whose job was to process it and then he'd hand the film to someone else to to transmit it so it was a three men team <laughs> who'd travelled all the way from London to Manchester uh, all that expense three men to get one image in the Sunday Times and now photographers are doing it all they're taking it they're captioning it editing it sending it am I sounding like a whinger (laughs) my name is Jacob and I sent the badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle if you would like to get in touch with the cricket badger podcast then tweet at cricket underscore badger I, I've tried to do your job. I mean, when I was working at Yorkshire County Cricket Club, we went on pre-season trips and stuff, so I was the only person there with a camera. And I had a, a, a far smaller budget, I would imagine, with equipment as, as than you do. But I know that when I was kind of click, clicking on the lens, it was more in hope than anything that I was thinking, oh, I hope I get something in focus, I hope I get the ball in shot, I hope I get this, that and the other. But every now and again, you think, oh, something's happened. And then I'm thinking, I hope I got that. I, I imagine you're exactly the same, but obviously at, at a higher level. Yeah, well, we're all... Hoping we got it and comparing the olden olden days of use you've called them, which mm-hmm. they are probably olden, uh, to now. The the stressful bit, I remember being at Leicester for a county match and someone got bold and you think, Oh, I've, I've, you know, it'd be great if the bales are just coming off the top of the stumps for that. Uh that'd be a great picture. So you drive I not you. I drive all the way from Leicester to London thinking, Oh, I wonder if that's gonna work. I wonder if that and like I said before, hand your films in, get the negatives back, and you look through with the and you go, oh, I've I've gone too early there. The ball's not quite reached the stump, so it's probably you know four 
one hundredths of a second yeah. or something. I've gone too early, and it just there's just a ball about to hit the stumps instead of bales coming off. So the stressful bit was probably the two and a half hour drive back to the office. Whereas now, as you know, you take a picture and you think, oh, he's been bold now. What did that look like? And you just hit button on the back of the camera and can have a look instantly as to whether you got something or whether you didn't. I think if you analyse all I've said in the last six minutes, it means I'm kind of a traditionalist. And I quite like the old days where there was a real skill in manually focusing a big lens Mm. It, you know, about the same time digital came in, I tried my first autofocus lens and thought, wow, they're, they're all pretty much all sharp. So why, you know, I'm not going to bother with these eyes and this hand movement on the barrel of the lens to, you know, manually focus a lens if I can basically point and shoot. And if you target the right area, like target the guy's face or something, it should be should be sharp. So that's probably been good good for me. Uh, actually, autofocus coming in as well. I, I can probably class myself as a professional photographer because I have sold one photograph up in Durham at the University Game. Barney Gibson made his debut for Yorkshire at the age of, uh, well, he was, he was almost an embryo at the time. And uh, I managed to take a picture of him diving across first slip and taking the catch, which I then sold, sold on because I was a freelancer at Yorkshire by that stage. And I can remember thinking when I took that picture, there were people stood around me and they go, did you get that? Did you get that? And then I went back and I was looking and I was looking and I was thinking, oh, yeah, I got it. I got it. I was dead excited. I'd imagine there's a few in this book that you had those kind of feelings for that you thought, oh, I really like that picture. That's, that's I'm, I'm punching the air kind of moment. Yeah, I've got, I'm just going to pick you up. You're not a professional photographer. <laughs> I you sold one. I sold one. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's like saying if you if you dance in a car park and someone throws you money, you're a professional dancer. I've done that as well. <laughs> okay. Or a pole dancer. Even. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, uh, so the yeah, yeah, I've got uh, obviously favourite uh, photographs where where you see what you've got straight away and think, well, I I have kind of cracked that. It's funny some of the Probably a photograph that did, you know, a lot of people liked on social media and, you know, won. It got second place in a uh, cricket photo competition. And I, and I did work very hard for it. It's a shot of Shakib Al-Hassan playing for Bangladesh back in, I think it was 2016. And I was scrabbling around the floor, kind of moving the tripod an inch this way and an inch this way between balls. and Because the, the background at this at this uh, stadium in Chittagong, only there was there was a kind of I think it was a scoreboard, and it threw some uh, shadow down into one area. So you were only working with a very small area. But anyway, the point is, I worked to get this photograph of uh, Shakib, hoping, like you said before, hoping that something would happen, and hoping that he would play an aggressive shot on the offside, which he did. But it's funny that once I got that. I remember still going back to the very nice hotel that evening and I didn't kind of go straight for that image. I just worked through them and, you know, picked out a few and I didn't even edit that one first. And it was only after editing it that I thought, well, actually, that does work really well. And, mm. you know, that's the standout picture of probably the, the last six months for me. But I didn't, straight away, I didn't go, right, let's get to that picture, edit that and see what we can do in the post-production. Who Knows Wins? Download our app right now from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store and play against your friends with bragging rights and real money on the line. Who Knows Wins? Put your money where your mates are. 
Who Knows Wins in a league of their own. You obviously always have the camera with you when you're at the ground and there's the game's on, but on, on tours, and you've been on tours and you've gone to some fantastic places in the world, do you always have your camera with you when you're kind of going out for a night or anything like that, or do you, do you have time away from it? I think that looks really sad if someone's carrying a camera <laughs> the whole night. And I, and I do know photographers in the past that have done that, that they've always got a camera, you know, even if it's 11 o'clock at night in a bar, and I just think it just looks like they can't be trusted. <laughs> like it just it just looks like if anyone does anything, you know, that they shouldn't be doing, that so yeah, I, I down tools pretty much, you know, at the end of end of play. And if I am going out, yeah, I'm not gonna take a camera with me. On the on the odd occasion, like in Barbados on a day off, and you think, well, I'm going down to the beach and you know, the lady at the in the foyer said, you know, there's an organized walk and you might see monkeys. I'm yeah. thinking of a specific day here. Uh, you know, then I'll take my camera and, you know, uh, this particular day I'm thinking of in 07, there was uh, a boy playing uh, cricket under the shade of a palm tree with Barbados Sea behind him and boats and swimmers and stuff. But, uh, no, as a rule, if, if just say someone invites me out to dinner, I won't bring a camera. Page 91 at Barbados Pitch. I've actually made a couple of notes here of some pictures that I, I, I really like in your book. And that isn't to say the others are bad because they're all terrific pictures. But the, I, I tried to take a picture in Barbados of a lad on a beach and it was a similar kind of setting. It might even have been exactly the same place as the one you took. Yours is better. Well, that's very kind of you as you're a professional photographer. <laughs> and a dancer. I was dancing on the beach later for money. But the um, uh, it's, it's kind of the lighting. But I, I love those kind of silhouette pictures. There's a few more in the book as well. But when you've got the kind of the strong light behind them and they're playing the game and you've got, you know, a beautiful setting, those pictures really work, don't they? I've made out it was kind of easier than it was because what, you know, it was quite early in the morning. I arrived on the beach and saw this boy batting and his, who I assume is his father, bowling at him and I said do you mind if I take some pictures and they were absolutely fine with that but the bit that I don't often get the opportunity to tell is I basically had to dig away sand <laughs> from I was probably only a meter and a half away from this boy dig away sand and place the camera kind of in this hole and keep watching the water coming in from every wave that it that didn't kind of wet everything so I did work quite hard for that because you had to get that low level to make the make the picture work, but probably took I don't know three dozen pictures and just back again. You know, in the editing phase, you go, well, that one's actually worked really well. That one's almost worked, but I think that's a, that's a picture that worked when the boat went across the background and the swimmers were in like neat. There were two over that side and two over that side. So yeah, I find it exciting doing things like that. And probably my favourite pictures have been on these outings. You know, whether it's a day off or maybe a morning in Bangladesh or something, and you think, I'll just go out with my camera and and, uh, see what's out there. And when you do capture something on those days, for me anyway, that turns into a favourite picture because you went out with nothing and didn't know what was going to be there and whether you'd find anything kind of crickety. And you come back and think, oh, I'm pleased with that. I'm pleased I made the uh, effort to go out and find something. I'll run you through uh, the pictures I've picked out from your book. And I, I meant to do five, um, but I actually did more in the end because I just kept adding to them. But the um, Glen McGrath bowling against KP at Lords, and obviously KP smashed him over the top of his head. 
and McGrath just kind of stood there staring up at the sky. I think that, that captures a really nice little moment. Yeah, uh, again, that's, well, it's obviously one of my favourites because I've, I've stuck it in. But yeah, it was an amazing, amazing time, the start of that 05 series. I mean, we all, you know, it's the greatest series that's ever been. But the, all the hype and all the excitement of this new player Kevin Peterson coming into the team and poor old Graham Thorpe who played the test before against Bangladesh. It was a you get the feeling it was a real toss up as to whether we're we're gonna stick with Graham Thorpe or throw this new new lad who's got possibly the worst hairstyle in the history of sport on his head. I didn't say that. Kevin knows I I love him dearly. But yeah, just a, and it was an amazing test as as we know. But yeah, the moment that KP hit the six towards the members and what I love about it is that all the members and it's a pack members which you see every four years for the Ashes normally in normal times and they're pretty much 95% of them are looking into the sky thinking is that coming to me yeah. like, is, is that gonna hit me on the head type thing and and just I don't know I, I do think it's a yeah it's obviously one of my favorites because it's big in the big in the book but uh I think that's what makes it for me is all the members and their faces looking up. And, you know, I've taken it, you know, I'm a long way away from the members. It's just amazing that, that it holds up. And, mm. you know, likewise, it was, it wasn't a kind of sunny day with, with haze or anything. And uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, it's one of my favorites. So well, well chosen. You've got, I think rather than a professional photographer, you might have the makings of a, of an editor. Well, we'll test that theory as we go through the rest of these. Yeah. Then Andrew Flintoff's face—it's on page sixty-seven of your book, but it's the uh, celebrating the uh, the Ashes win at uh, Trent Bridge on in two thousand and five. I was there that day with a friend. We were sat in the crowd, and I paced around the back of that uh, that stand a few times because that was a really tense kind of afternoon. You know, England were chasing fairly short, a small target, but just managed to get over the line. A bit of heroics from uh, Ashley Giles and then Matthew Hoggard towards the end of that day, wasn't it? But Flintoff's face on that on that balcony and the celebration there it's just absolutely tight screwed up celebrating it, it's quite expressive and there's a few i'd imagine i mean just kind of supplementary question to that photograph the likes of goffey flint off peterson probably as well there's certain players that probably give you a little bit more aren't they yeah yeah definitely i'm going to answer part b before part a but yeah you definitely have your favorite uh subjects and as you say, you probably picked out some of the best ones for England there. But Flintoff was, you know, he was a great person to photograph. I don't, I, I don't know what he had actually that was different. But he was, it, he's obviously photogenic. We well, must be photogenic. He's all over the TV now, driving cars around the world. Have you frozen or? I, I haven't frozen. I'm actually just going through the next page of your books. I'm doing oh, right. on the same laptop here. I thought you'd either frozen or had a stroke. <laughs> so that's good news. That's good news. Sorry. But yeah, Flintoff was was great to photograph, as was Peterson and, and Goff. The bit that pleases me about that photo of Flintoff is that there used to be, and you'll remember this, a roof uh, in front of the pavilion. There, uh, there were boxes that were radio boxes mainly and TV boxes, about five of them, and there was a roof on that. So you could set your camera up on top of this roof if you climbed over a few things and uh, set up a remote camera. to focus. And just this that afternoon that I went up there, I suddenly thought, well, England are, you know, what are they chasing? 120, 130, I think, from memory. I haven't got the notes in front of me, I'm guessing, but I think it was about there. It was, it was around that, wasn't it? I suddenly thought, well, if that, you know, I expect England are going to win. 
I'm going to point my remote camera on sitting on top of this roof back at the balcony rather than, you know, get the get the play, which I've got for the last whatever it was. It was short test, wasn't it? Finished on a Sunday, I think, but for the last three and a half days. And so I was, you know, that was a kind of gamble, I suppose, that paid off because, you know, got they they went mad after the... Uh, after who was it? Hit the, Giles hit the winning runs, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was pleased with that one. But yeah, you're right. He's. Uh, I think Flintoff was in the. I think he might have been sitting in the toilets or something, and he w- he was too scared to move until <laughs> the you know until he yeah. heard the roar that that uh, Giles had hit the winning runs. But yeah, I am again. I'm pleased with that one. So good, good choice. I'm passing so far. I'm passing so far. Ricky Ponting with his daughter. Outfield at Headingley, I think it was, 2009 Ashes. And it's just that's just a nice moment away from the cricket. It's in a cricket um, setting, but it's a family moment in the cricket setting, which I thought was quite, that was quite effective. Yeah, good choice. Good choice. You're doing well here. <laughs> Finished quite early that test match, and Australia won relatively easily. But my friend Patrick Egar, who's, you know, well, he started doing cricket photography in the 60s and retired about, I think he retired. 2010 around 10 years ago anyway but he i think we were packing up and he kind of went oh look ricky ponting's walking over there mate he he wasn't so interested in check but i thought oh walking over to his family it might be an extra picture you know i might as well you know it's one o'clock in the afternoon i've mm-hmm. got all afternoon to pack up so i thought well i might as well run around there with a with a camera and a lens and see what i get but it was i kind of thank patrick for that one for for pointing it out, but Ricky obviously uh, grabbed his daughter Emmy from his from his wife. I didn't know Emmy's name till after, of course, and just took her kind of back onto the field a bit and sat down playing with her. And the amazing thing for me was it was kind of you know even though there's people shouting out for autographs and lots of people still, it was just the two of them were just you know in their own. I, I dread dread to use the word bubble because it's got different connotations these days, but yeah, they were just interested in each other. And uh, yeah, I think that was a kind of magic moment, and it got a lot of lot of play the next day in the papers. I mean, most most papers, I think, use that picture. The Times on the front, the Metro on the front, but yeah, it's not often that a cricket picture gets on the front page, especially a cricket picture with a with a father and daughter. It reminded me actually of a picture I took years ago when another Australian, Ian Baker Finch, won the. Won the open at I can't remember where it was. I'm not even going to have a guess. I don't don't remember where it was. Early nineties, but the and he picked up his daughter with the trophy, and he was wearing a pink shirt, and it was just a, another great picture. And that same day, I think the a TV interviewer was trying to interview Ian Baker Finch when he still had his very young daughter, and she thought it was an ice cream. And there's <laughs> probably on YouTube somewhere this uh, clip of Ian Baker Finch's daughter trying to eat a microphone. Blackratcricket.co.uk You've probably spent lockdown dreaming about scoring runs and taking wickets, but let Black Rat Cricket kit you out and take you towards success. Blackratcricket.co.uk They've got a swanky new website, and if you quote Badger when you check out, you can get yourself 15% off. Blackratcricket.co.uk Join the infestation. 
Let's scroll on to page 137, Owen Morgan's run out. And th- this is a picture I really like because you've got two batsmen in this picture. You've got Owen Morgan at one end on his knees, run out with a stump shattered. And then you've got the non-striking batsman at the other end, just bowed over his bat, also completely desolate at the other end. And it's just a, a complete picture of despair. Again, taken on a remote camera from that same roof I was just talking about at Trent Bridge. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to be honest here and make the admission that I I think on the day I didn't even know I had that picture. And I saw, give him a name check, Tom Shaw from Getty had that image used. I'm pretty sure it was the Observer the next day. And I suddenly thought, oh, I've missed that. So I had to go through my files again and kind of dig it out. But yeah, if it wasn't for Tom Shaw doing a proper edit of his images that he'd taken from that roof, that wouldn't be in the book. I was going to ask you, actually, Philip, the the element of look. You know, you, you mentioned you've got your stationary camera up behind the, the pitch. You've got, um, obviously, the potential for people to come into the background that you weren't expecting and things like that that maybe you weren't anticipating when you press the, uh, pre- press the button. But you end up looking at it later and thinking, actually, that I didn't realise I got that. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's more likely the other way. Like, I do remember Richard Johnson when he played for England. He only played a handful of tests. And when he he had a great match at Chesterler Street, and I think I think it was against Bangladesh. I could be wrong on that. But most of his wickets were appeals uh, for were LBWs. So the picture was you know he'd spin around and both arms up uh, appealing for the wicket. And I th- I'm sure he got five for or something, you know. But every time he turned around and appealed, you know, with both arms up, there was a steward with a luminous jacket who was between both hands. So it was almost unusable because this steward was just standing at the top of a few stairs at the other end of the field. And, yeah, I tend to remember the ones that were ruined rather than, you know, there's hardly ever that someone's got in the background and made the picture, for me anyway. I'm going to move on to uh, The Kids in Chittagong. It's on page 148 of your book. and. I'm doing this all from memory because I haven't been organised enough to have them the, in front of me. But the, the, these pictures are your ch- these pictures are your children. You should be able to remember all of these. There's a, a, a young lad basically bowling directly at you with a kind of pink and yellow ball, with the other lads kind of in the background of that picture. And this is obviously a set up picture. I suppose it is in a way. This is a, this is what I was thinking of earlier when I mentioned about going out early in the morning and stuff. I did staying with. A journalist called, well, not with, but in the same hotel as a journalist called Stephen Brinkley in Chittagong. We were in the Agrabad Hotel, which is, I think it's, well, no, no offence to the Agrabad, but it's probably the second worst hotel <laughs> that we've stayed in. That's probably the best review they've ever had. <laughs> yeah, I remember the Agrabad, I do remember a man getting very angry at reception and so, and saying he'd had some kind of, I don't know whether he had a lizard in his room or something. And he said, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you one thing. And he and he got very agitated and angry and was... And another thing he said, and I thought, well, he's... he's got, anyway, he's come down here angry. I thought he's only going to mention one thing, but he's, he's got a whole list here. They're going to take the review down off, off their wall of the worst hotel and put your second worst hotel up now. That's, that's an improvement. So I think the worst one was in Hikadua in Sri Lanka. And I only stayed there for probably five minutes before... I thought I'm just going to go and and like hang out in the sea <laughs> rather than stay in this room. There was just a mattress, a table that wasn't fit for purpose. I think that was it actually. 
But anyway, I didn't stay there very long. But you see, no. yeah, all the listeners that see you and you're you're fairly noticeable because you've got your long hair. So if you're seeing a, a cameraman with with long hair, that, then it's probably Philip. You're walking around in the sunshine, your shorts on, and you're doing your, your camera work. But what people don't see is all of the bits of uh, movements around in between matches, the hotels you're staying in at various standards, as you've just mentioned, and all of the work that goes on behind the scenes. I, I know from doing tours away with Yorkshire and, and the county stuff that you capture your stuff during the day. And then when everybody else is kind of going down the bar, you're going back to your room to kind of go through all of everything you've done and editing things together. And people don't see that, do they? No, all the stress of trying to get an internal flight in India with, you know, a 600mm lens and all this and tripods and all this equipment and, and trying to, you know, trying to make sure that that gets to the other end as well. But uh, the Chitkong picture, getting back to that, I do remember leaving the Agrabad early one morning just to get out of there and walked around the streets, took a few pictures. And then I saw this young lad who's wearing the yellow shirt with his own ball, like tossing, just tossing it up in the air and catching it in a kind of side street, you know, which wasn't really fit for cricket. And then I started to take photos and draw a bit of a crowd. And this other lad turned up and grabbed the ball and he threw it even higher, but he managed to throw this ball on a roof. So it was gone. So I felt a bit bad because I felt like this kid's lost his ball and it's my fault, really, if I hadn't been photographing him. he still had. So I went to a nearby shop, paid probably the equivalent of 40 or 50p for the ball, which was possibly 10 times more than I should have paid, and handed him this ball. And I did say, you know, just, just bowl at me kind of thing. Another weird thing that happened was a pretty sure it was a baker's van came to come down this street that I was photographing him in, and the crowd kind of behind it because you normally do draw a crowd in places like this because they don't see a, a mm. handsome hairy man with a camera <laughs> very often in the streets possibly a baker's van came down we all had to move off the road and then when we reconvened and i got into bulgar that all the kind of i don't know how many people are in the peak about 15 people they all neatly formed a kind of mm. semicircle behind which at the time I didn't really notice because I was more uh, more involved in you know getting him to really bowl the ball at me at me hard. But it's amazing that they made this neat shape. Again, I must be a neatness freak when it comes to photography because the Bats Rock beach picture, the boy on the beach picture. You know, I like it because it's neat because there's two swimmers outside, two swimmers outside type thing. So I think it's something to do. I'm neat in photography, but not neat in life. there's clothes and stuff everywhere but yeah i was very happy with that image when i saw it on and and again you you go through the edit and you go well i've got i don't know what it was 50 pictures here and one just goes i don't think we can better that you know you can see the boy's face you can see the ball coming at me the ball would have hit me that's the question i'm most often asked about that picture is like did the ball hit you well of course it did at times it's a tennis ball it doesn't doesn't phase me when I'm playing in my local Rickmansworth tennis club, I like nothing more than being at the net, just like waiting for that volley. And, you know, there's no fear with it. If it's a cricket ball, I don't That's want to play. Different story. <laughs> if it's a tennis ball, I'm fine with that. But, yeah, I was happy with that one. The Guardian chose it as one of their pictures of the year, which was very pleasing a few months later. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't even like what the, their best cricket pick. It was just like one of the best kind of 12 or 15 pictures of the year. So again, a nice, a good editor at The Guardian, a bit like, a bit like you. 
Uh, move on to another picture I, I really like and uh, I've known Joe Root since he was a, a, a kid at Yorkshire but I tend to find with Rooty that he, he's a bit of a cheesy grinner he's a cheeky little chappy and he likes to grin and you've got a picture of him in Australia walking off training where he's got the uh, helmet kind of at an angle coming off the top of his head and a really kind of exhausted despairing look on his face and you don't see many pictures of Rooty like that no I I yeah, I don't remember much about taking it, but I remember liking liking that image. I think actually put the, you know, sometimes batsmen do put their helmet, you know, just lift, turn it up a little bit and put it on that. I think it was actually hurting his eye or something at the time, and he looked a bit fed up. But when I look back through the images that I could use in the book, I yeah, I, I kind of stopped on that one and thought, yeah, I, really, I do like that one. And it kind of means more now knowing that, he played in that Melbourne test and then the Sydney test. And it is what would have been 2014, wouldn't it? The tour was 13, 14. That's the only time he's been dropped from a test match. I'm sure you'll know that as a, yeah. as a proud Yorkshire follower. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I thought, you know, it means more now than it, than it did then. But yeah, you're right. It's uh, unusual to see Rudy like that. And he is a cheeky chappy and he does seem like he has a lot of fun. And he's a he's quite a good player as well. He's not bad. He's not bad. Moving on, we're going to the other side of the Pennines here with Alex Davis's bat. I think this is, and it's just basically in limbo in front of the stumps, and it's quite a, an astonishing looking shot. This because the bat's in position, but there's no batsman there with it. Yeah, I think that's. I, yeah, I, I know the picture you mean. I think it's from 2020 Finals Day. I'm pretty sure it's from 2020 finals. Semi-final between Hampshire and Lancashire. Yeah, which I've never missed a 2020 finals day, and I'm sure there's no other photographer that can anywhere near match that. I don't know what that says, because a lot of photographers will get offered a day at 2020 finals day, and they've worked out that it's three matches. It starts at, you know, you've got to be there at 9.30 in the morning, and you're leaving at 11 o'clock at night. So it's no wonder that I'm the only idiot well, who's, who's gone to all of them I, I did a day's commentary there um, it was for Yorkshire but it was they played in the first semi-final you obviously can't do a huge amount in the second game because you've got to stay there and then they got to the final it's a long old day and it? it really is a long old day yeah but I don't know I was going to say but and I think it's something positive I can't think of anything positive <laughs> uh, but that photo I th- it was weird I think he I think he played the, I can't even remember really but I think he played a shot and just lost the grip of the bat and he ran out of the frame and it's just one of those uh, I thought well it's kind of kind of amusing to see a bat just there in the picture and no players so I'm not sure it's what well what size is it because because that'll tell tell you how much I like it it's not a it's not a huge picture is it in the book probably I've, I've scrolled on from that page now I'm afraid that's but... all right that's all right people can well people can see that picture you're talking about when they buy the colors of cricket released on August the 2nd, which oh, is... beautifully done. Beautifully done. I've got over 340 images from my entire career photographing cricket. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness 
confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. Well, the last one I'm going to pick out today, Philip, because we could go through every single one, but it'd be a very, very long podcast. Um, the last one I'm going to pick out is the Ben Stokes aftermath at Headingley. And he's basically being embraced and completely mobbed by his teammates, Joffre Archer being one of them. Obviously, there's triumph, there's jubilation in that photograph, but he looks absolutely dead on his feet as well. Yeah, good choice, I think. Uh, yeah, I was, I was happy with that one because it kind of captured a bit like you were saying with the Joe Root one, it kind of captures a, a moment and a fleeting moment at that when, I don't know, he kind of just collapsed into, you know, people were embracing him after his incredible, what was it, 100 and... Now you're asking, aren't you? Oh. Last partnership was 70. That was an amazing day, actually. That's You know, 2005 is amazing to think back on the series and things that happened. But for a for an actual day of cricket, that's hard to beat that. Ben Stokes, and let's not forget Jack Leach because he played his part as well. He got back into his ground, and just so much was going on that day. But yeah, I, I do like that picture. I was I was lucky enough to have a green bib and get out to the middle soon after the. It wasn't a plan really. I just saw another green bib out there and thought, I've got green bib on. Let's get out there. But yeah, just one moment. And Stuart Broad, I, I think I put that picture on social media on Instagram, and Stuart Broad said. Something like, you know, I was genuinely close to tears there. Just incredible. Well, Headingley's had some brilliant moments, hasn't it? With 1901. Yeah. Oh, so with- some of the very best test matches of all time. Don Bradman, et cetera, going back into the, uh, into even further back in time. Well, but, I can't know that, that part of that. You've not got any of him. <laughs> the, um, I mean, look, looking at that photograph, though, uh, I mean, you mentioned Stuart Broad saying he's close to tears there. I mean, he's kind of got this misty, far off look in your photograph. You got. Joe Root on the left-hand side coming into Pat Stokes on the bat. Joffre Arch is kind of giving a, him a hug from behind. And Stokes has just literally collapsed on Stuart Broad's right shoulder. Yeah, I think he was absolutely exhausted. I'm trying to think of the state of the state of the series then. It was a, did that make it one all, possibly? It kept it alive, didn't it? It meant that England couldn't was still had a chance going forward. Whereas if Australia had won that one, it was dead in they were dead in the water. So from nowhere, England came back and kept the series going, didn't they? Yeah, but I like it. I don't, you don't get many pictures of, well, you don't get any pictures of Ben Stokes looking vulnerable and looking like that. So it was just, a, and it, it didn't happen for long. I mean, he he's hugged other players, and and uh, yeah, I, I was I was going to say lucky to get it, but I was in the right place at the right time. I made sure I got out the way as Ben Stokes walked off, so I wasn't in the way of other photographers. I thought that was important, but yeah, I was happy to see that that frame later when I when I came to edit the pictures. I mean, you mentioned Stuart Broad making a comment there that he was close to tears. How many times do uh, cricketers come up to you and say, Philip, I've seen that picture you've taken of me last week. Can I have it? They must want them on their walls, don't they? (laughs) Maybe it says something about their opinion of me that they'd never do that. They probably don't think they're good enough. Like, (laughs) the photos are good enough. But I can't remember the last time a professional cricketer said, can I have that? You know, I sometimes send them off images that I think they'll like without them asking but i can't remember i can't remember ever wow what a question you've 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 basically put a pin in this balloon yeah well we've, we've pumped it up all the way through this podcast and i've just burst it i'm like i've just burst it i mean i thought I'd, I'd want a picture like that but anyway 
going back to the very start of this, I mean, the books with Pitch Pop Publishing, and as I say, it is terrific. I mean, I, I've obviously got it on the electronic format, which you kindly sent me, and I've flicked through it, and there's some absolutely, there's plenty more terrific photographs in this book that I've not even mentioned um, as, we, as we've gone through this chat. Um, but you, you must kind of sit back and kind of scroll through this and actually think, A, um, I've had a bit of fun doing this, but B, I'm quite proud of what I've done there. I don't think I'll have to scroll. I don't think I'll have to scroll through it because the editing phase and the captioning phase. You know, I've, I've kind of seen them all, and and without sounding weird, they all they're all up here in my head anyway because mm. I know them so well. But it's up to other people to to look at them now because I've I've set them free. Well, tell other people then. Tell those other people how they can get hold of this and when it's when it's out there. Apparently, it's out August the second. And I think it's available to pre-order on a number of kind of book sites at the moment. I don't really want to, to say kind of Waterstones, Foils and Amazon in a podcast, so I won't do that. No, you definitely can't do that. <laughs> 320 pages. There's not much, like, stupid stuff from me. The odd, you know, the odd... Uh, and I, I must apologise to Kevin Peterson. I think I actually wrote that in the book about his hairstyle in 2005. So that's one sale we won't be getting. I'm, I'm sure if he's honest, even he, even he would look back at that hairstyle and think um, maybe that was a maybe that was a mistake. But it's called "The Colours of Cricket" by Philip Brown. It's uh, published by Pitch Publishing, and I would highly recommend it. Thank you very much, Philip Brown, for being my guest today. Thank you very much, and uh, yeah, I hope hope people enjoy it, and I. I know I've been very, very lucky to do what I do for, for 30 years. You know, it's a it's a dream job being able to get that close to cricket and, you know, see all these moments and try and capture them. And, you know, it's it's good competition with other photographers. I've loved every minute. And thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Buy the book then. Live that dream with Philip as he's gone through his cricket times. And we'll release him now into the wild to go and get his hair cut because he's uh, due down the barbers any second. Thank you. Yeah, I am. I am. Let's hope they do a better job than one I got before I, when I was at the Oval a few years ago and I raced around to a barber's and sat me in the chair and he started snipping away and we got kind of chatting a bit. He was, you know, he told me where he was from and everything. But 20 minutes in, he said the words I'll never forget, which were, the barber's normally in by now. <laughs> and I walked out looking like a mushroom. So let's hope that doesn't happen this time. Well, there you go. The barber's on warning. Don't make him look like a mushroom. Philip Brown, thank you. Thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network.